Well, uh, Alex was to be preaching tonight, and uh, as you know, he had a bereavement uh, during the week, and I um, have been conscripted to fill in, and I want to turn your attention to Psalm 46. Now, they say confession's good for the soul, and I'm confessing to you tonight that I have preached this sermon in a prayer meeting before, but um, uh, I hope it will be a benefit uh, of you to you, whether you were at that prayer meeting or not. So Psalm 46 is my favorite psalm, and uh, we're reading from verse 1. Psalm 46 and verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46 was Martin Luther's favorite psalm. And whenever he felt discouraged or downhearted, he would turn to his friend and fellow reformer, Philip Melanchthon, and he would say, Come, Philip, let's sing the 46th Psalm. Uh, indeed it was as they traveled to the Diet of Worms uh, to face Emperor Charles V, his brother, six German princes, 24 dukes, eight archbishops, 30 bishops and abbots, seven ambassadors and papal nuncios, 206 altogether, in whose presence he made that remarkable statement, my conscience is captive to the Word of God. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me that he wrote his hymn that was based on this particular psalm. A safe stronghold our God is still, a trusty shield and weapon. He'll help us clear from all the ill that hath us now o'ertaken. And though they take our life, which was a real possibility, Goods, honor, children, wife, yet is their profit small. These things shall vanish all. The city of God remaineth. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Still, still, that was Luther's point, that the truths of Psalm 46 were as relevant in the 16th century as they were when the psalm was first penned. Uh, all those years before, and it's uh, as relevant in the 21st century as it was in the 16th century as when it was originally written. Now, the background of this psalm seems to be, most scholars believe, the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrian king, King Sennacherib, during the reign of godly King Hezekiah. And Sennacherib had uh, uh, invaded Syria. He had come into Israel and then down into Judah. He had captured every town, every uh, city, every village that stood in their path. And then he came to Jerusalem and he led siege to the city. 
of God. At first, King Hezekiah tried appeasement, and he went into the temple. He stripped the temple of its silver and gold, precious artifacts, uh, and tried to purchase the withdrawal of Sennacherib. Sennacherib did withdraw, had second thoughts, came back and led siege to the city again. And if you go to the British Museum in London, you can see a, a little prism known as Sennacherib's prism. And on that prism, he says that he had locked up King Hezekiah like a bird in a cage at Jerusalem. In Second Kings 19, he prays to the Lord. And he asks God, Hezekiah this is, he asks God to intervene in a very dark and bleak situation. The prophet Isaiah sends a message to King Hezekiah uh, and encourages him to be resolute, to stand firm, and not to give in. And then the angel of Jehovah comes into the Assyrian camp, camped at the doorsteps of Jerusalem, the gates of Jerusalem, and in one night strikes down 185,000 opposition soldiers, Assyrian soldiers, so delivering the city from the Assyrian threat. Now, it has been suggested that this psalm was written immediately after those events, but I think there's evidence in the psalm itself that it was written during the siege itself, maybe written by Hezekiah, maybe written by the prophet Isaiah, but it's a psalm that's designed to instill courage, to inspire courage in the hearts of God's faltering people, his fearful people. So that's the background to the psalm. The psalm can be divided into three and it can be very neatly divided by that little word selah. We're not sure what that means. It's probably a musical term, uh, but we just can't be sure. Uh, but it helps us divide up the psalm. Uh, in psalm, uh, in the first section, in verses uh, 1 to 3, we see God is protecting us. We need not fear. In verses 4 to 7, God is strengthening us. We will not faint. And then in verses 8 to 11, God is sovereign. We need not fret. Now, added to that, verse 1, if you like, is a, a table of contents to the psalm. And the, the three uh, uh, things that are listed in verse 1 correspond to those three sections. God is our refuge, first section. God is our strength, second section. God is a very present help in trouble, the third section. So it's, it's like a, an index then to, to the psalm and to these three particular sections. So first section, God is our refuge. Uh, our, God is protecting us. We need not fear. Look at verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way and the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake or tremble at its swelling. Now, verse 2 and 3 speak of what we might call natural disasters. The earth giving way, earthquakes, mountains being moved into the heart of the sea, volcanoes, uh, Waters roaring and foaming, tidal waves, 
mountains trembling at its swelling, hurricanes. And those four things, what we would call natural disasters, have two things in common, and that is you can't stop them and you can't predict them. You can't stop them and you can't predict them. And what the psalmist is saying is that when the unpredictable and the unstoppable come into our lives, we need not fear. Why? Table of contents. God is our refuge. God is protecting us. Notice the little word, therefore, at the beginning of verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear. Because God is protecting his people. He's a shield around his people. He's a fortress. He's a high tower into which the people of God can retreat. He is our refuge. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the unpredictable and the unstoppable surround us and consume us. Nevertheless, the believer is not to fear. Spurgeon says, Highlighting that little word, therefore, uh, that fear for the Christian is an irrational emotion. That it's an irrational emotion because God is his refuge, his strength, his very present help, help in trouble. Now, it may be an irrational emotion, but it's a very common emotion. Sometimes when circumstances overtake us, when the unpredictable and the unstoppable come into our lives, we are uh, overwhelmed by fear, when the ground gives way, when the uh, 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 trouble erupts, when we're overwhelmed by the tidal, a tidal wave of woe. Fear is the very natural reaction. But we're not to fear because God is our refuge. He's protecting us. He's He's looking after us. The circumstances seem out of control. Are circumstances beyond your control? Remember, God is your refuge. That He is, He is protecting you. That you lose a partner. A partner that you thought was for life. You, you um, are made redundant from your job, a job that you thought was for life. Or um, you find yourself um, misunderstood and misrepresented among the family of Christians. Or, or perhaps you're feeling okay, but a little pain in the side. You go to the doctor and the di doctor diagnoses cancer. Circumstances are out of control, but you are not to fear. Because God is your refuge. That he only allows that to come into your life that he deems to be for your ultimate good. Sometimes we find ourselves um, the victims, as Shakespeare said, of outrageous fortune. Rather than believing ourselves to be in, uh, uh, in God's hands and under God's rule, been living beneath God's protection. J.B. Phillips, the um, 
translator of that wonderful paraphrase that uh, was produced in the 60s brought out a book entitled, Your God is Too Small. And that's the problem. Sometimes uh, we find ourselves in a difficult situations uh, and we begin to doubt God's love and provision for us because we have a restricted, a contracted view of God. He is our, our refuge. When I was a, a teenager, I was a member of the Sea Cadets, which was like a, a junior department of uh, the Navy. It was really a, a recruiting uh, means uh, for the Navy that you would take boys uh, into this organization. You would take them away to uh, for free trips to England, the naval bases, uh, bases in England, and, and uh, eventually they would join the grown-up Navy. And uh, I remember on one occasion, uh, there were about 200 boys, and we were being marched across this parade ground into what looked like a garden shed, and it was an 8 by 10 uh, garden shed. And all the boys just kept going in and disappearing, going in and disappearing, going in and disappearing. I couldn't understand how they were cramming all these boys into this shed. But from that shed, you went down steps into, um, it was a nuclear air raid uh, shelter that was lined with concrete and lined with lead, that in the threat of a nuclear attack, then the, uh, the, the military personnel would escape to this refuge, this impregnable fortress for protection. Well, God is that impregnable fortress that surrounds us. God is protecting us. We need not fear. Do you remember those verses in 1 Corinthians that tell us that God will not suffer us to be tempted beyond that which we're able to bear, that He knows how much we can take, and He has put restrictions on Satan and will not permit Satan to go beyond those boundaries. What an encouragement that is. So, God is protecting us. Uh, we need not fear. Secondly, second section, God is strengthening us uh, we will not faint. The index in verse 1, God is our refuge, first point. God is our strength. Now look at verses 4 to 7. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, that God is strengthening us. When Hezekiah uh, realized this uh, impending and growing threat of the advance of the Assyrian army, he went around Jerusalem. Jerusalem has no natural water supply in the heart of the city. Water has to be brought into the city. But Hezekiah went round the city, and he uh, the outskirts of the city, and he covered up every spring, every well uh, that, uh, that surrounded the city. And then he built a conduit of over 1,900 feet, Hezekiah's Tunnel. You can actually go to Jerusalem today, and you can walk through this tunnel right into the heart of, of Jerusalem. And uh, he, he directed one stream right into the, the city center, replenishing and refreshing the vast network of pools that were in that city. 
So you can imagine the scene. So the Assyrian army come, and they're looking for water. There's no water. They, the, the water sources are all covered. They're all hidden. And, uh, and you imagine the logistics of bringing water on wagons and clay pots over vast distances to refresh that army of at least 185,000 men. How difficult that would be. And all the time there is this stream of refreshment flowing into the very heart of Jerusalem, replenishing those pools. Uh, We're told uh, in Isaiah 36 that the um, Assyrians taunted the inhabitants of Jerusalem about having to drink their own urine because they knew that there was no natural source of water in the city. But there is this this river that was redirected into the very heart of the city. Now, that's the thought that the psalmist has here in verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. Jerusalem was refreshed and supplied with fresh water. And the psalmist takes that and he applies it spiritually to Jerusalem. Just as Jerusalem had this refreshment flowing into this city, the strength flowing into this city, so it had a hidden source of strength in its God, the holy habitation of the Most High, that Jerusalem was the dwelling place of God, that God was in the midst and God would not be moved, and so Jerusalem would, could not be moved. That God was in Jerusalem and God was strengthening Jerusalem. You see, to the Assyrian army, Jerusalem was just one more pathetic little city that needed to be conquered. But what the Assyrian eye couldn't see that the, was the invisible God who dwelt in the Holy of Holies above the Ark of the Covenant, that God was in the midst, that God was there strengthening his people. God is in the midst, said Luther when he began the Reformation. If we perish, Christ must perish too, and I would rather perish with Christ than prosper with the world. Someone came to him on one occasion and said, the whole world is against you, Luther, to which Luther rather arrogantly replied, then it's God and Luther against the whole world. You see, the the Christian church corporately and the the Christian individually has this this strength, this um, invisible force uh, uh, living and dwelling uh, uh, in, in their hearts individually and in the church collectively. That, that they are indwelt by the sovereign God. Sovereign because nations rage, kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. That one word from the throne of God and all opposition Uh, crumbles. God is sovereign. Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 30, if God is for us, who can be against us? God is in the midst. God strengthens his people. And God will never place a burden on your back that he doesn't give you the strength to carry. I look at verse 7, repeated in verse 11. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of the hosts of heaven, the commander of the angelic hosts, that God is with us, and the God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, why doesn't he say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why, why single out Jacob in particular? Well, I, I think out of all the patriarchs, um, Jacob was perhaps the, the most dishonest. He was a schemer. He was a twister. He was a manipulator of men. And you see, perhaps the people, the citizens of Jerusalem were coming and saying, yes, yes, we believe that God can help us, but God won't help us. Because we have been unfaithful to him, we went into the temple, we stripped the temple of its silver and, and, and gold and precious artifacts and, and gave them to Sennacherib. We desecrated the temple. Yes, we believe that God can help us, but God won't help us. And the psalmist says, oh, remember, remember, he's the God of Jacob. He, he's a God who delights to show mercy. He is a God of great grace, of kindness and love. Do you remember that wonderful promise in Second uh, uh, Corinthians 12 where uh, Paul has this thorn in the flesh, and we're not sure what that thorn in the flesh is. Some think it was maybe failing eyesight. Some think it was epilepsy. Well, to be truthful, we, we don't know which is um, good because it's wonderfully ambiguous because it covers all the pain and difficulty that we, we face in this life. But, but he prays three times that that thorn in the flesh would be taken away. Three times. And this is the man who's prayed for healing in the life of other people and seen those prayers answered. But he prays for healing for himself and God says, no, no, no. Three times he says no. But he does give this promise, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is made perfect in weakness. That he doesn't promise to take the thorn in the flesh away, but he does promise to give the strength to cope with the thorn in the flesh. But he says this, he says, my grace is sufficient for you because that very stream of strength that flows into the heart of the believer is in its very nature gracious. You remember what grace is? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And God, the psalmist is saying to these people, God is saying to these people through the psalmist that he's the God of Jacob, that he's a God who does strengthen his people in a gracious and a, an undeserved way. But he does give us grace to help us in our, our, our time of need. I find that wonderfully comforting because sometimes we make a mess of our own lives and we get ourselves into all sorts of situations and difficulties by our own waywardness and sinfulness. And we don't doubt for a minute that God can help us, but we conclude in our minds that God won't help us, but God is a God of grace. And he does help us in our times of trouble. So God is protecting us. We need not fear. God is with us, or is strengthening us. We will not faint. And then God is sovereign 
We must not fret. Look at the last section, verses 8 to 11. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We're very fretful people. We're easily worried, easily unsettled, easily panicked. But in this section, the psalmist reminds the people of Jerusalem that even in the threat of the mighty, ruthless Assyrian army, that God is sovereign over all. God himself speaks at the end of the psalm and says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. Now, that word still doesn't mean be quiet as it's sometimes understood. It rather means to take your hands off, to sit back and observe, to allow God to be God, to allow God to work it out, to allow God to unfold his purpose, to allow God to be active in the situation. Remember the table of contents in verse 1? God is our refuge, section 1. God is our strength, section 2. God is a very present help in trouble, section 3. That, that God is actually in our circumstances. Circumstances. It's not just that he's, he's available, but he's in our circumstances. And he's working and weaving those circumstances round for our good and for his ultimate glory. And that we need to sit back and observe, let God be God, let God do what God does, uh, does best, let him rule. And we need ourselves then to learn to rest in his sovereignty, to rest in his providence, to rest in his purposes. People of Jerusalem, understandably, were panic-stricken as they looked out on the vast Assyrian army camped on their doorstep, ready to attack. They were gripped with fear. If they refused to surrender, it was the common accepted practice and code of war that when a city closed its gates in the face of an advancing army, every man, woman, and child within that city would be put to death. That's the significance of the apprentice boys of Derry closing the door, closing the city gates in the face of James I and his troops, because they knew if the city fell, everybody in that city would be put to, to death. And so, uh, in the midst of all this fear, God speaks and he says, remember that I am God. Jonathan Edwards says, the soul's consideration that God is God is sufficient to still all objections to his sovereignty. The soul consideration that God is God is sufficient to um, extinguish all uh, objections to his sovereignty. Is he, is he God or not? Does he rule or not? Is he some weak, pathetic little God looking down on our world, wondering and hoping that things will work out in the end? No, no, no! He's God, and he rules over all, and he's a very present help in our troubles. He's, he's working and weaving all things together for good. He makes wars cease to the ends of the 
the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. He speaks, and the instruments of war are destroyed. Belief in his divinity is confidence in his sovereignty. Now, sometimes we hold the doctrine of the sovereignty of God in our heads, but it hasn't yet dropped to our hearts. And so when difficulties come into our lives, we run about like headless chickens trying to solve our own difficulties and our own problems rather than resting in his plans and purposes. I, I suppose that all of us could, um, I could bring up any Christian here in this building tonight and you could tell me about um, God's providence in your life, how God worked things round to bring good out of a very difficult situation. Let me give you one illustration. It's a personal illustration. I hope you'll forgive me for that. But when um, I was a teenager, my father remarried and decided to emigrate to Australia, and he, he wanted to take me, well, all of the family, my, the five of us to Australia, six of us to Australia, stepsister as well, to, to Australia. And um, I was in love with the Baptist woman's director, although she wasn't the Baptist woman's director then, and uh, um, if, I was, if I was to stay here, I had to get a job. And I spoke to the careers teacher in school, and he said he would keep an eye out for me. And he, he, came, he sent for me, and he says, Stephen, and he says, I have this job. It's um, an training in, in an insurance company. And if you get this job, you'll, you'll be able to stay. So I, and he also said, now, they want three people. They want to interview three people, but I've picked the two worst boys in the school and yourself. So, and this is true, one had green hair and one had piercings on every available part of his body. And, uh, and so the, the three of us then were to go for the interview. And I went back to the classroom as I was boasting to this friend of mine that, um, that I had this job and uh, I was going for the interview and it was a cert. He says, I think I'll go for that job too. I said, no, you can't go. It's just me and these two other Egypts. Uh, uh, so it's just, just me. And he says, no, I'm going. And he went for the job, and he got it. And I was heartbroken. And I had to leave the love of my life behind and fly off to Australia, not knowing when I would come back. And... Um, I was cross with that boy. And then about 30 years later, I was walking through Korean Hospital, and I saw this minister coming towards me in a clerical collar, and he said, stop me, and he said, are you Stephen Curry? And I said, I am. And I, he says, I'm the boy that stole your job. And so after certain I might know, uh, um, now, he told me a story that uh, he, wasn't, he went to Church of Ireland Church. He wasn't brought up in a Christian home. When he went to England, he was very lonely. And he decided to go to church one Sunday. It was an evangelical Anglican church that he went to. He heard the gospel. He heard of Christ. And he was converted. Well, do you know, I would have given a thousand jobs for the conversion of any single individual to snatch somebody from 
everlasting torment. I would have given a thousand jobs. But it took 30 years for me to see and to understand the reason why I didn't get that job. And what I'm saying to you is that you've got to learn to rest in his sovereignty. You may not understand, you may, may not be able to make head nor tail of your circumstances, but you need to be still and let God be God and let God work it out. What a wonderful psalm. God is protecting us, we need not fear. God is strengthening us, we will not faint. And God is sovereign, we need not fret. Amen.